Hello and welcome to a very special Halloween episode of Cinema Smorgasbord, a uh, a one-off episode where we're going to be talking about a couple of recent released horror films. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me, as per usual, even though this is a uh, non-usual format show, is Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? I'm pretty good, Doug. I'm trying to get in the vibe here, and, and I like that we are ourselves embracing the spooky season, as people are calling it. Uh, which, by the way, is weird because uh, I feel like we've all been saying that for a long time, and now I'm seeing it on like evening news and shit. Yeah, you know what I yeah. mean. Like it's 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 weird to see. Like uh, I, I I've known for a while that smaller groups of people inevitably influence the larger culture, and we shouldn't be surprised at that. But sometimes the specific things that catch on are weird to me. You know what I mean? Like, it's weird to me when, for example, unrelated to Halloween, uh, when Barstool Sports posts pictures of shows to make fun of them. And I'm like, oh, I was at that show. Like, that video, I'm there. I'm in the crowd. right? You know what I mean? Like, that's weird. But it's, to me... Liam, before, I'm just going to interrupt you for a second. Could you pronounce Barstool again for me? Barstool? (laughs) Barstool? Hey, let's put it this way. Sites suck, so they can get fucked. So yeah, really they can get fucked. They suck, but, but Barstool. But, so, so the point is, it's strange Like when, uh, when various movie nerds and other kind of like gothy folks started being like, all of October is Halloween, fuck you. It like was kind of funny, and then it was kind of tedious, and then it like... It's funny how things move from tedious to just accepted. Like now to be annoyed by it is tedious because it's so obvious that right. if you're like, what? All of October, you sound like an old person. But it's a whole other thing to be like your local weatherman, I guess. I mean, I don't watch local news, so so I don't really know. But I've seen clips. And to see the clips of all these people being like, it's October 1st, spooky season. You're like, oh, no. Oh, no. This is a thing that everyone... Oh, okay, I guess that's the thing. But that being said, it is spooky season. I, I refuse to fight it. I'm just upset about it. I think it's kind of strange how, because you're right that it's kind of uh, invaded, and it, it in some ways always has been in the public consciousness, that we have friends who are trying to one-up it. So, like, on September 1st, it'll be like, instead of 30 days of spooky movie madness, we're going to watch 60 days. And on September 1st, they're suddenly watching horror movies, and that's fine. I'm not knocking them. A lot of our friends watch a lot of horror movies anyway. But it's just, it's like, when's it going to stop, man? Like, it's going to be August 1st, and people are going to be like, all right, got to put together my list of 90 movies. Well, that's the thing you got to ask yourself, right? What's more annoying? The person who suddenly on September 1st is like, skeletons everywhere, all I care about is horror. (laughs) Or the person who on September 1st goes, oh, are you watching horror movies? That's weird because I watch horror all year long. (laughs) Like, yo, man, I I have a horror podcast. I watch horror all year long, too. I also watch, like, Criterion movies, and I also watch, like, uh, cartoons. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) the three categories uh, of film. (laughs) All I'm saying is the, the idea... That like you are a superior human because you find time for horror all year long misses the point of like in my mind horror movies are just one part of uh, thinking about Halloween and Halloween as 
literally our one holiday that's only about death. You know what I mean? Like, I would argue Christmas is also about death, but in an obscure way that no one wants to hear about. But uh, Halloween is our only, like, culturally accepted time to be like, oh, yeah, people do die, don't What about Guy Fox Day? First of all, no one fucking cares about that. (laughs) Second of all, no. Do you know I grew up? I grew up throwing... Uh, like a paper bag effigies of Guy Fox into the fire every year, even though I grew up in Newfoundland where where I didn't fully understand who Guy Fox was. <laughs> right. Uh, but, well, that's just because y'all up in Newfoun- Newfoundland? Newfoundland? Oh boy, Newfoundland? Right. I'm not going to Y'all love this. You love Alan Moore so much, you just were in preparation <laughs> for what would be V for Vendetta. So, like, you didn't know, but you were like, oh, this, this thing is going to exist soon. It's going to be so cool. The movie, do you remember, of course. Do you remember what... Oh, yes, the movie, of course. <laughs> uh, well, you remember what Danzig said, your favorite singer, Danzig. He said, I remember Halloween. What do you think about that? <laughs> First of all, your Danzig impression is amazing. I don't remember him saying it. I don't remember him saying, I ain't no goddamn son of a bitch. You better think about it, baby. My, my wife ha- probably has never listened to The Misfits in her entire life, and I know you uh, notoriously disliked the Misfits, but I grew up and did listen to a lot of the Misfits. But when she wants to <laughs> mention the band or Danzig in any context, she always just goes, "I ain't no goddamn son of a bitch." Like that's that's her only context point. I mean, one hundred one hundred percent. I've heard every Misfits song a million times. My deal with the Misfits is just that they're uh, they're. Even with them coming back and doing a multi-million dollar <laughs> stadium show, which they fully admit was only to pay court fees and legal debts, uh, they're still worshipped like gods on earth. But they've all proven themselves to be supreme dickheads. Yeah, they're like, all the, assholes. The worst kinds of dickheads. And people still are like, oh, man, the Misfits is fucking the best. And I'm like, I just can't accept it. It is... Uh, honestly, there are some bangers in there. I'm not going to lie. But the overall vibe is not Gods of Metal or something like that. They played rapey proto-pop punk. That's what it is. It is just before pop punk was a thing. And the lyrical contact range is from like corny and fun to, oh, no, Danzig wants to sexually assault people. So like, it's not that cool. It's not the end of the world either, but it should be a footnote compared to other things and it's like worshipped like it's like the most important thing that happened in music well let me read you the lyrics to halloween by the misfits uh it goes ooh, ooh, i'm so glad you're doing this <laughs> bonfires burning bright mm, just like yourself last night uh that was my addition not part of the lyrics uh bonfires burning bright pumpkin faces in the night i remember halloween dead cats hanging from poles Little Dead are out in droves. I remember Halloween. Brown-leafed vertigo, where skeletal life is known. (laughs) I remember Halloween. Uh, And it goes on like that. Very spooky song, uh, Halloween by the Misfits. I thought it might have been based on the... Uh, John Carpenter film, uh, because a lot of their their songs are based on spooky films, Liam. Yeah, but that would have been too recent for them. All their stuff is more 50 stuff. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so uh, strong feelings about the misfits here on this special. Halloween. I just, I just want your skull. You know, I just yeah. need your skull. I mean, to be fair, when I saw Ted Leo play and he covered Angel Fuck, did I try to mosh out all those nerdy indie rock types in the church basement? Yeah, I did because you know I, I, I like to be mean to nerds, but that doesn't make the misfits good. 
Oh yeah, Liam presenting himself as the jock in the crowd. I understand. Well, (laughs) funny enough, Doug, at a Ted Leo show, (laughs) I am the fucking muscle bound freak. Well, when I think of the Misfits, I think of the Adam and his package cover of Where Eagles Dare, which yes. which I imagine their con- his concert, I should say, has an even weaker crowd that I could probably shove around like a bully, which you, apparently is the thing that you've been aiming to do your entire you life. S- you say that, but his instrumental cover of Break Down the Walls by Youth of Today always brought moshing out back in the day. Well, there you go. I must be the fucking everyone's glasses flying off. 100%. <laughs> you, you are literally describing what it was like. <laughs> well, Liam, uh, we we have digressed slightly, uh, although I guess we're still on the Halloween theme, which is the most sure. important thing. Actually, before we get into the movies that we're going to talk about, did where you grew up, did you have any unique Halloween traditions? I mean, uh, obviously, the tradition uh, here in, in North America is that we go out dressed up in various spooky costumes and go door to door. Do you have any memories of Halloween that were uh, unique growing up? Well... One thing that I only recently found out was unique is um, I grew up with Mischief Night, which apparently is not a phenomenon around huh. the world. Uh, do you know about Mischief Night, Doug? I mean, I don't know. if Is it similar to uh, what they call Devil's Night in Detroit? Yes. Uh, we also would sometimes call it Devil's Night, but it was more commonly known as Mischief Night. And it mm-hmm. is just, you know, you go out the night before Halloween and, and you, cause, you cause a little trouble. Liam, is uh, it because of your enduring faith and because the idea of calling it Devil's Night might be, I don't know, it might, it might cross some barriers, cross a few lines? No. <laughs> First of all, I, I didn't invent it, Doug. I'm just telling you what people called it. <laughs> okay, all right, Se- all right. Second of all, no, I think, honestly, when I was growing up, to call it Devil's Night would suggest that something actually... When I was a kid, the the satanic panic had fully infused everything sure. around me. Mm-hmm. Now, around um, my particular group of friends... I mean, I didn't have a lot of friends when I was a little kid, but when I finally did have some, they were all stoked on metal and Satan, so the satanic panic was really present like they believed all those various lies that fueled that moral panic but they believe them all in the way that you believe your friend can like walk on nails or jump 20 feet in the air right like, that was all cool shit like they believed every fucking lie as the coolest thing in the world that that <laughs> happened and so for them they would never call mischief night devil's night because no one was worshiping satan on mischief night you were breaking shit or burning shit that's all you did and so to confuse that with the most more legit legitimate and sanctified worship of satan would be a problem you know so uh and and honestly i'm i'm exaggerating that's what they did in places near us in collingswood most of mischief night was toilet paper and some eggs and that was right, about right, it right, and right, for right, me right. doug it was mostly not that i was forbidden uh from uh going out <laughs> on mischief night it was for foreboding in my life and it was not because my mom was religious as you know my mom is a giant atheist it was because she did not want her boy getting into any trouble so uh mischief night was always a rumor or a tale to me other than the damage to our house and our smashed pumpkins um and it, the only time i ever got to experience it when i was much older and my mom who I love, so I don't mean this in a negative way, just stopped giving a shit about that sort of thing. And so by the time I was 15 or 16, she's like, yeah, do what you want. I don't give a fuck. So I went out on Mischief Night, but we were just a little too old and mature at that point. So like 
we just walked around like normal, like watching people try to be mischievous. <laughs> and I suddenly realized that this was like a lame thing that kids did and that cops were not worried about it at all. And it was really fun. And it, the best experience was like, I, 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 we, I actually was a, I think I was a senior in high school. I went out for mischief night, but me and my friend just walked around like drinking eggnog and laughing at people. And it was great. It was so eggnog. much fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. I used to live <laughs> off of Wawa eggnog, which is so regional. No one's going to know what I'm talking about. But Wawa, October 1st, was like, here's eggnog, everybody. And I was like, thank you, Wawa. And I drank it nonstop. Remember, I didn't have diabetes yet. So I drank it nonstop <laughs> until they took it away in February. Uh, Liam, where I grew up in Newfoundland, uh, we our network affiliates all came from Detroit. Uh, and this was the late 80s Detroit. Uh, so... My impression of what the United States was like, particularly around Halloween, was that it was an insane place that was constantly on fire. Uh, I mean, I remember when when RoboCop came out, I'm like, hey, Detroit. Yeah, that is what it's like. That's what it seems to be like (laughs) from the local news that I encounter every single night. Again, very much a skewed version of things, but they would always mention Devil's Night uh, around Halloween. And then, of course, I think it was probably immortalized on a wider scale uh they mentioned it in the crow i think um and and but but mischief for us i mean from my family growing up wouldn't even go as far as as toilet paper and eggs and things like that it's so weird doug you'd say that because my mom grew up in detroit but like my grandfather was like a pretty wealthy surgeon. So whenever she tells me about Detroit, like I have to remind myself like, oh, this is the place that later would have all this trouble because it's all this like <laughs> privileged, like very comfortable stories about Detroit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, I mean, it's strange because at one point um, in the 90s, all the network affiliates switched to uh, Boston instead. And suddenly it was, I mean, not that Boston doesn't have its own troubles in all sorts of different ways, but it was a very different tone to a lot of their news. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, I, I mean, I, certainly there wasn't very much unique for me growing up in terms of Halloween. It, it was very much a traditional thing. But I think we did, my family did what a lot of people did, which is we went to the richer neighborhoods or the, <laughs> the comparatively richer neighborhoods. Again, it's, it's in small town in Newfoundland and, you know, went to the places that, you found the, the people who were giving out full-sized candy bars or, in our case, this was like the big thing when I was growing up. I don't know if, if you felt this, Liam. There were sometimes places that were giving away full cans of soda. And, like, that was, like, the, the ground zero. That was, like, everyone revolved around the houses giving away full cans of, like, probably no-name soda as if it was gold that they were giving out during the night. Yo, if I had gotten soda as a kid, I would have thrown it away. Wow. Because you'd be like, I am straight edge to a, to such an extent at this point. I wasn't straight edge <laughs> when I was a kid, Doug. It just seems like a cheap, stupid, why do I need this? It's not even cold, you motherfucker. Put this away. Why are It'll you be, you'll bring it home and put it in the, in the refrigerator. Uh, 100%. If I can't eat it in the moment, if I want to, then it, it's not worth it. You eat candy while you're trick-or-treating? Oh yeah, that's very much odd. to much to my mom's anger because she wanted to check it all because she believed all that bullshit about the stuff in the candy. But I would just she she wasn't always paying attention, so I just pop uh, the candy the whole time. Okay, so about that, obviously the whole razor blade and apples thing is this apocryphal story that everyone bought into, right? But get this: two years ago, here in Peterborough, Ontario, Canada, in which I live, someone found a razor blade in candy. 
and like went to the papers with it with like a picture of like a Tootsie Roll with a razor blade in it. And I have to say, Liam, I think they made it up. I don't think that it actually – I think that what? they put one in in there to try to freak people out to kind of raise awareness or something like that. But it didn't even look like you could fit no. the razor blade no. in the Tootsie Roll. It is a fact. It's never, ever happened. Every case of candy poisoning has been on purpose by a relative or someone who knew the, to get a specific kid. It's never been a public thing ever. It's never happened, Doug. And we all bought into that shit. You can even trace it back. Like I was listening. Oh, I wish I could remember the name of the podcast where they were like, this is the first case. And they made it out like this big panic. But if you research the case, it was like, oh, no, it was the kid's uncle. The kid was killed by his uncle, actually. Yeah, look, I'm looking at the article right now from 2018. West End mom bites into razor blade and candy. Bites into it. Wait, I gotta. I'm gonna send this to you just quickly so you can take a look at the photo at the top of it. <laughs> it's weird because I'm basically calling someone who is a friend of friends of mine a liar. But it was one of those things where, oh, we're gonna do an investigation, and then you never heard anything about it afterwards. Just take a look at this at this razor blade in this candy. No, this is obviously a lie. Come right. On. Right. Look, a half-chewed piece of Tootsie Roll with a razor blade in it. Stupid, 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 stupid. It's tough. At the time, people, like, there was a, a, as you can imagine, a lot of outcry. But it was hard because I remember Jill and myself would talk about it and be like, I think she's lying, but we're not allowed to say that she's lying because that would make us look all fucked up. But it, she's obviously making this up. There's no way that's real. I can't. I just thinking about that <laughs> makes me mad <laughs> because it it really slowed down the candy intake, right? You'd have to take it home, and then your parents got to go through all the candy and and make sure everything was okay. Like, what the fuck were they doing? Like, they weren't opening up every package to make sure that every Tootsie Roll doesn't have a little razor blade inside. It's the whole checking the candy thing. Always, even when I was a kid, I'm like. Okay, maybe there's stuff in here, but this is not effective. There's like no way that this is gonna, you know what I mean? Like I, I don't know. I, I always suspected that wasn't real, which is funny because I bought into a lot of other stuff. Uh, you know, just the other day I was listening to uh, uh, something about a, a specific crazy person and a couple of his conspiracy theories. I was like, oh shit, I believe that when I was a kid. <laughs> Do you think that? Now I'm just, I'm thinking. Uh, from a capitalist point of view, Liam, that you and I could go into business selling small handheld metal detectors that parents can wave over their children's candy to find out if there's a razor blade in it. We right? would have to we'd have to build the panic again, man. It's died down to a large degree. Well, then maybe that's what this West End mom who bit into some candy with a razor blade in it that she was trying to do get ahead of the curve on it. Look, it'd be easy to get this happening again. We just need to find one kid who's willing to say, I found a razor blade in the apples that some, like any kid is even going to keep an apple that someone gives them. <laughs> if I, if I got an apple instead of some candy going to some person's house, that apple would probably go through that person's window afterwards. I was an angry kid. is what I'm saying. Liam. <laughs> it sounds like it, man. Are you all right? Do I need to call somebody? Are you okay? Well, it'd be different if it was like a mango. Hey, right. That's a sweet, delicious treat, but an apple that's what it. the you, you are so full of shit right now. No, there's no way you knew as a 10 year old what the fuck to do with a mango. 
No, that's absolutely the case. In fact, uh, this this is something that maybe I shouldn't admit here on the show. I did not have a mango, eat a mango, until I was 21 or 22 years old. Well, that's just racist. Yeah, actually, now that I think about it, 23 years old, I would have had moved to Ontario. Well, now, you have to understand that this is one of those things I struggle with when thinking about my childhood, whether things were just not available because I was in Newfoundland, which is an island, and it's very expensive to, to get certain foods there. But, or was it that my parents were so stuck in the foods that they had growing up that they just refused to ever purchase anything outside of this small window of, of like fruits and vegetables? So, you know, I, I, one of the things that we would do as a Christmas tradition is my parents would put uh, unique fruits and vegetables in in my stocking for Christmas. So like that was the only time I'd ever had a pomegranate was was during Christmas. Doug, can I tell, can I tell you how <laughs> fucked up my brain is? Because when you were saying about not having mango, I thought, well, you're on that island. Like, don't you need vitamin C to avoid rickets? <laughs> So wouldn't you've had mango to stave off the scurvy or something? Like I'm just like combining all these. First of all, you're not a pirate. Second of all, <laughs> I can't, I'm confusing all the various at sea diseases into one disease that you just need vitamin C for. Also, an island is not like just a ship floating. No, on the that's ocean. what I'm saying. You're not a pirate just because you live on an island. But in my brain, when you said it, I thought, well, why wouldn't you have more vitamin C on your island? And then I was like, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. Douglas, why didn't you just climb the mango trees that were growing, obviously, on your tropical beaches? Oh, my gosh. I mean, you do say that, but when I first got to – the first time I went to Ireland, uh, I was really amazed that the west side of Ireland does have palm trees. Yeah. I was like, what is going on? They have this – the the way that the – I'm not going to – explain it because i'll get it all fucked up but the way that the water flows up to that part of ireland it comes i guess from tropical temperatures so they uh they say that that's one of the parts of the world that is going to be and has been most affected by climate change already oh wow i didn't even think about that but man hopefully they'll come here that's that's one of the things by the way that uh as we have moved into spooky season i didn't need a lot of prompting i mean there's a general sense of anxiety in the world for all sorts of reasons, including the ongoing pandemic, and uh, certainly because of the United States election, which is rapidly approaching. It just, to me, it just feels like we're on the cusp of, like, or actually maybe already over the edge of disaster. Uh, so it's 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 not hard to get into the feeling of, if anything, it kind of feels like embracing Halloween, embracing the, uh, the concept behind it, and maybe even the feelings of doom and gloom and death that it's actually kind of an escape from the real world negatives that have been going on in 2020. Yeah, it's true. I mean, part of the thing I, I, I think it's possible to actually uh, in the light of everything that's going on, discredit horror. Like remember just recently there was that review of uh, the haunting of blind manor where this person was just like, um, this show's not scary because ghosts aren't real. <laughs> and I'm not defending that because that's one of the dumber things I've heard in a long time. However, um, I think... I mean, this- admittedly, ghosts are not real. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but the underlying feeling there, I, I think, is not... It's stated in the 
dumber version, but then let's go from that to a more intellectual attack, which is the James Baldwin uh, review of The Exorcist, in which he's like, white people have to invent shit like the devil wants to steal your daughter because you're loose with your morals, because they can't handle the fact that, uh, you know, evil doesn't, the the devil doesn't need all this shit. He just has to rely on prejudiced white people and evil exists in the world. You know, he just has to rely on the on on cops and politicians and stuff. Like, there's no secret plan to get your daughter because y- you you fuck the wrong person. You know what I mean? Like, all of that is just white bullshit. And I was like, oh man, that's a really good critique, actually. <laughs> My uh, interpretation but- of The Exorcist has always been that it's about when someone you love has something wrong with them and you don't know what it is, and that sure. the, the the kind of underlying fear that comes from like like a medical condition and and you as a parent in this case and you being a parent like if your daughter suddenly were exhibiting symptoms of things that you couldn't explain and she was just in agony and and it's like well you go and do all these medical tests and nothing gets figured out which is exactly what happens in the movie the exorcist and it's just like well what are you left with and then you start moving towards a supernatural explanation which i guess is something that actually happens in real life i don't think that's necessarily where I mean, you would if, go if you take if you take the thing you're describing far enough you get to the actual propaganda that uh, blatty intended yeah, the absolutely. whole point of the book is to scare people back to Jesus. Like yeah. that's the whole entire point. To which Baldwin was also thinking, "Well, that's ridiculous. That's crazy white people <laughs> shit." Because all you need to do to get back to Jesus is to stop hating black people. That's it. That's that's actually where you need to start. Not with the fact that you're an actress who's enjoying her life. I mean, that's the source, right? Is that like her mom is not necessarily an uptight Catholic. Like that's all that's at stake there. And with all of the evil in the world, that's where we're at is this sort of (laughs) drama is crazy. And so like, I've thought about that right now. Like if there's, this is another time where people are a lot more aware of the evils in the world that are more uh, present. Right. But then to me, when I think about horror in that sense, Doug, I almost think about it in the other direction. So like, horror movies that involve the end of the world are actually quite hopeful. You know, they're actually a source <laughs> of, of power. You're laughing, but I, I, in the sense of like, I don't know how f- familiar you are with Afro-pessimism, you know, but Afro-pessimism suggests that uh, anti-blackness is the root of all being. Like oh, that's, okay. how, that's how we've conceived of our world. And in order for us to have things like laws, governments, uh, capitalism all of that rests on anti-blackness so the only way for uh there to be anything that resembles uh black liberation is the utter destruction of the world as we conceive of it and some new way of being that is outside of of that because anti-blackness is in everything so hence afro-pessimism um and uh, while i don't know that i completely buy into that the idea that there's something so essentially wrong with everything that only uh reconceiving from the ground up uh is a solution is kind of attractive yeah i can see that absolutely and at least the feeling that um we have to believe the world can be destroyed for us to even believe the world can be different in other words uh, i see some of these totally apocalyptic horror movies as a uh as a uh uh cure cure maybe not a cure but uh a palliative to the sort of uh capitalist realism that says like 
everything can change except for capitalism, which will always be with us. You know, like the whole world will end, but we'll still need to be to sell products. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that that we, we can more easily believe in zombies than we can in the idea that capitalism isn't part of who we are. And so, like, for me, that's it in these times, those sorts of purely apocalyptic horror movies. And, and I think some of them have a vibe of things have to drastically change. So I've for a long time argued that the end of hereditary is a happy ending that like, actually the world has gone right when that, when that movie ends. And so, um, you know, I, I, I think that's things like that. I think are, I, I think about, you know, I think about, I actually think even though it's just the death of one man, there's something kind of apocalyptic about the end of the wicker man. Right, that, you know, like oh, you were wrong, or even I will say old, that Liam, as shivers. I as I as I get older, certainly the the ev- the evolution of the plot of the Wicker Man has become more and more appealing to me, right? As, right. as a con- conceptually, yeah, I would even say the end of Shivers, which maybe isn't Cronenberg's best movie, but it is very fun. But the idea that like we're just going to end with everyone giving into the sex slugs yeah. that live inside of them is like apocalyptic but in a very pleasant way like, i love, very, I love like, that movie and i love that ending by the way yeah so um, anyways that's that's just uh, not not to get us completely off course no in fact this moves us back on course because the two films right. that we're going to be discussing today one of them has an apocalyptic theme and the other one uh <laughs> hints strongly at the damaging aspects of capitalism so i think that uh this will flow very well into our discussion today i i, I do want to say before we introduce them that we know in advance that while these are both somewhat horror-y or, or anxiety-building movies, they're not very Halloween-y, so no. apologies for that. That, But we just picked two new movies we wanted to talk about, you know, or we wanted to watch even. So sorry that they're not, like, you know, covered in leaves or whatever. But. <laughs> covered in leaves, the most Halloween-y aspect. Whenever uh, anyone says a horror movie is very Halloween-y, all they mean to say is, I saw a lot of leaves and pumpkins. <laughs> Well, I remember Halloween, Liam. You better think about it, baby. I ain't no goddamn son of a bitch. Uh, we are here today to talk about two uh, recent horror films. And with that in mind, we're going to uh, attempt valiantly, Liam, to avoid spoilers when discussing them. The first film is 2019's The Beach House, uh, followed by uh, also 2019's Swallow. Both of them fairly well regarded and well-received uh, recent horror films. I think we should take a break, Liam. When we come back, we're going to talk about 2019's The Beach House. When you see someone change in front of you, and you know there's no going back, it scares me to death. No one's been here in months. It's beautiful. I love you, you know. I love you too. Does anyone need a refill? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen this out here before? It's in the trees. It's all over. Something in the air. I felt a little lightheaded before. I feel good. It's like I was knocked out. I, I can't remember. Miss Turner, where's Mr. Turner? It is so nice out today. Rachel! 
What is going on? I don't know. Something from the water. A romantic getaway for two troubled college sweethearts turns into a struggle for survival when unexpected guests and the surrounding environment exhibit signs of a mysterious infection. It's The Beach House from the year 2019, directed by Jeffrey A. Brown. Uh, this is, and in fact, both of the films that we'll be talking about today are the sole feature-length directorial credit for their respective directors. But uh, Jeffrey A. Brown has been a prolific location manager, including uh, as recent as Jim Jarmusch's The Dead Don't Die, so uh, even up to 2019. Also written by Jeffrey A. Brown. Uh, a cast of mostly unfamiliar faces. It does have Jake Weber, uh, who I think probably listeners of this show might recognize from the Zack Snyder Dawn of the Dead remake. Uh, and Liana Liberato, uh, who I might be pronouncing her name wrong, she's in the lead. I think she does a very strong job. Uh, Noah LaGrosse as Randall. This movie has a very small cast. In fact, if I remember correctly, there's really only ever... There's four performers who have any speaking roles at all. I think you might see a fifth person just briefly later on, maybe a sixth person. Uh, but for the most part, you're just stuck with these four people. And as the plot summary suggested, it's these two young people going to a beach house owned by one of their fathers. Uh, and then they run into a, a middle-aged couple, uh, or actually older than middle-aged couple, who are, had been staying there. Um, and, and I guess we'll get into the circumstances beyond why uh, both of these couples are there. From that summary, you may not get the sense of where the horror actually comes from. I did refer in the first segment uh, to the fact that this is a slightly apocalyptic film, and it's more than slightly. This is a totally apocalyptic film once you get into it. It has kind of sci-fi, um, uh, hints of sci-fi in it. it. It was inspired greatly by Invasion of the Body Snatchers. That'll probably give you a sense of the tone, though not really of the content that you get here. Liam, what did you think of The Beach House? Well... This is going to sound like a diss, but I don't know that it is. Uh, it's more Lovecraftian than the Lovecraft movie that came out earlier this year. Um, that would be Color Out of Space. Right. Because um, it is, it's funny, it, it is in many ways similar to Invasion of the Body Snatchers, except for in a very important way, which is Invasion of the Body Snatchers is essentially an anxiety film because while it's not always clear what exactly the body snatchers are. It isn't clear that there is an intelligence and an intent, you know, Mm -hmm. and that makes it an anxiety film. While this film has a lot of anxiety in it, that's not the underlying feeling. It is more Lovecraftian in that what is happening to these people, there is no villain. It's unclear that there is a monster or a intelligence or anything like that. This feels like, Something is just changing in the environment, right? And this is how it affects them. And because of that, it is in some ways more anxiety-producing, as Doug has pointed out. Our own very fragile ecosystem is going through some massive changes, and the idea that, like, you know, maybe the uh, maybe the the oceans uh, uh, the oceans crust opens up in a certain kind of uh, amoeba comes out of the ocean, and then before you know it, we're all transformed into things that if I were to describe would be spoilers, then, you know, that's the end of the world. That's not, I mean, that sounds sci-fi, but the movie kind of puts it in a way that's like, it's kind of sci-fi, but also like, uh, do you even know? We don't know, right? right? Uh, yeah, as, yeah, absolutely. As, and especially there's a specific point where someone suggests that like, we'll end up being a lifeless husk like the other planets. Like it, 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 the suggestion being is that like, whatever's happening in the film 
it's just what happened to every other planet and now right. they are what mm-hmm. they are now. And that thought, even though it's a throwaway goofy line, in the moment in the movie, it made me shiver a little bit because it's like, oh, right. This isn't just happening to these individuals. The individuals are who we identify with and that makes us pulled into the story. But the idea that like this could just be the end. And so, like, these four people in the end don't really matter because this is how it's all going to wrap up. Is it, it made the movie more upsetting a little bit, you know? One thing that I really like about this movie is um, something that I've never really seen before in a horror movie, which is when the, the, the turn is happening, when the things are going from just, hey, it's a little unusual to, oh, no, something really wrong is happening. The couples, the, the two pairs, they have all taken edibles. And so when things are looking strange, you can just attribute that to the fact that they're all extremely high. And in fact, one of the couples are probably, you know, it's clear that they're not used to getting high. So they're, they're really right. uh, responding kind of, of uh, unusually to it. So at first, I mean, we know because we know what this movie is going to turn into to a certain extent. But for the characters, they're, they're just like, oh, this is happening and I'm feeling this way because I got really extremely high on edibles. But then you find out that that you know things are a little bit stranger than they first expected i also really like the fact that you could there's been a lot of movies lately where uh young couples or young people have encountered older people who are acting strangely and you find out later that they have some sort of secret or they have dementia or, they, or just that sort of thing right but in this particular case there's nothing really wrong about this other couple. They, the, if they have exactly. a secret, yeah. it, it's just that one of them is sick, right? But just sick in kind of a traditional way. But when they're being kind and nice, you, in, in, in a, again, because of how a lot of horror movies are structured, you're thinking, oh, we're going to find out later that there's something really wrong with these people. And there is, but that's only because of this wider surrounding thing that's going on. They're legitimately good people, and they're not trying to hide what they are. So, uh, in fact, the 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 only person in this movie who is a real kind of piece of shit is Randall, the the male lead, you would call him, played by Noah LeGrosse. It's not that he's, like, a completely shitty person, but he's just a real useless character. But I think his inclusion in this movie is intentionally to show what a useless garbage person he is to allow um, the the character of Emily to kind of take center stage. I think that's fair. I think um, that <laughs> I don't love Noah LaGrosse. I don't know if we're saying that name right. I think um, so. Okay. I don't love him as a performer anyway. Yeah. So the fact that the character is shitty, but then I also don't like his performance, they kind of meld together for me where I can't tell where one ends and the other begins. But I, I mean, don't appreciate him the same way I appreciate his female co-star. But he's so passive, right? And like every time that she is is aware that something strange is going on, he either seems to ignore it or he's so high that he's just like he's like well, whatever. Like he'll just push her off. And of course, you know, even at even from the beginning, he's presented as kind of a douchey character coming to this house and not even believing the fact that someone else might be there and wanting to have sex right away. Not that there's anything necessarily wrong with that, but he's obviously pressuring her. I mean, he just seems like kind of a gross dude. And then he becomes this um, this thing holding her back as she's trying to survive once everything kind of comes into focus. The only problem I really had with this movie, Liam, uh, I mean, you know, this movie is this this movie is somewhat hampered by what's obviously a, a fairly low budget, but I think it, it really has a lot of uh, 
really unique visual style that kept me interested. And I actually really liked the interplay between the, the two couples. I think Jake Weber is really good in this. I was kind of sad when uh, he kind of uh, disappears for a big chunk of the movie. Um, but the, as the movie expands from this really centered look at these two couples at the beach house and starts to widen out to encompass more of, I guess, the town that they're in and then maybe globally, I feel like it shows its budget a little bit more. And even though it's trying to give the perspective of a worldwide phenomenon happening, it, it's hard to do that on such a low budget. And I uh, I think maybe the weakest part of this movie is when it goes off the rails uh, in the final 20 minutes or so. Did you did you find that? I Again, we're trying not to give anything away about how much it goes off the rails, but this is a movie that relies heavily on like fog and not being able to see things around you. And it's hard to, to both, to square that with the whole world uh, going through something at the same time. It, I mean, it, the movie never completely clarifies how widespread it just says it's you know the people on the shore are uh, infected right and that's where she is she's at the beach so of course there's anxiety in that however um yeah i mean i would just put it like a the way the film pans out for me until the very very end which feels like a good idea that you kind of had of like this is how we're gonna the end note we're gonna end on absolutely um up until that point it feels like they found the movie on set because it feels like they're very much like, look, we can't do a bunch of gooey effects. They do some. There are actually some surprisingly effective gooey Really effects. effective. Yeah, I do think that what they have here is is right. very effective, yeah. But it's pretty clear that they're not going to do that on a mass scale. They don't have the money for that. They're not going to... It doesn't make sense for it to culminate in any sort of showdown. Um, even if the... Uh, let's say affected people are hostile in some way, you know what I mean? They don't have the cast to make a big deal of it. You know what I'm saying? Like there's, there's just limitations of money and all kinds of things so that the way that we reach our ending feels rushed and it feels, I don't know. It, it, it's just it, for a movie that, could possibly be as apocalyptic as and as climactic as the concept is they it doesn't feel like they can or at least they don't have a good idea of how to execute on that with the budget they have you know so it it um you know up until they really leave the house um the claustrophobicness of it you know like they're all sort of in the same kind of area at this one sort of isolated house sure is great it works for the movie whatever again i really don't like uh noah Legros in this but if you <laughs> can stomach him i think it's great the whole movie just really works until that point and even then it's just the feeling that there's a promise in the ideas in the movie that there could be something more, that this could be like a bigger thing, but they obviously can't do it. And then the way that it wraps up, there's not a lot of insight there. I, I, I Again, I'm not a script person. Like maybe I wouldn't be able to do anything better than what they end up doing, but it just felt like real low stakes, uh, the way it kind of wraps itself up. And, and so that's a bummer to me. Um, but overall, I still think it's a pretty enjoyable movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what you're kind of getting at is that the mechanics of what's going on here are never really explained in any detail, even compared to something like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, where, you know, you get a sense of the evolution of 
of how people are being copied and things like that, which isn't what's happening here, by the way. Um, but but you don't really get a sense of exactly like why this is happening and uh, how the characters are being infected and, and the progression of that. Not until really the very end do you even really see a person going from one state to another. So, I mean, it's it's a, a movie that keeps its cards really close to its vest. And I, I see what you're saying about the idea that it kind of feels like... it. I wouldn't necessarily say that it's kind of like like being made up as they go along, but certainly the availability of the house <laughs> for the making of this movie is a huge part of why this movie exists. Uh, and you can kind of feel that right from the opening segments. And that's just the reality of a low-budget movie. It just seems like the this particular location really served this kind of material. But I just like the idea that it's very much of this moment. You know, it's it kind of has that classic... 70s vibe to it in that this is a environmental horror movie that is taking real life issues and combining it with science fiction and horror and doing something I think uh, even though inspired by a lot of other movies still feels pretty unique and you know an accomplishment on a low budget as well I I think on a conceptual level I love everything about the movie on a uh, on a uh, execution level I think they kind of run out of steam and they ran out of like fun ideas to get to where they needed to go. Right. But I think the way it lands is a little bit haunting and is worth talking about. And it's, I think down the road when spoilers are less of an issue, it would be fun to hear people talk about that ending and sort of what it suggests and how it avoids in a movie like this, in which you're suggesting a cataclysmic change in biology. Mm hmm. It'd be so easy to still go with an anthropocentric view that's still about how does Susie do or how does Tommy get over or how does our friends escape even if we know that's, you know what I mean? It's even like, I would even say like, and again, I don't, this sounds like a critique, but I don't mean it. How do you have your Dawn of the Dead helicopter moment where right. it's like, mm-hmm. we're still going to go even if we don't know what that means. We're still going to get out of here. Um, I love that this movie isn't that and I, and I think that could come across to some people as like uh, uh, kind of edge lordy, but I don't think that's the point at all I think the way that the whole movie keeps talking about extreme environments and uh, life in space and there, there's all these themes that again they make me think of Lovecraft because they're reminders of a hostile universe in which life is very fragile and right now uh, while I think many people in our society are, are uh, learning from Lovecraft's hatred of uh, other races, mm-hmm. what they should be learning is the idea that the universe is not actually welcoming to human life, that it's actually quite quite hostile to it. And so we should be assuming we're all going to be fine. Um, it, it, the one insight he had onto the world that I think is actually worth thinking about is that we're probably not going to be fine. <laughs> a nihilistic take here from Liam O'Donnell <laughs> on this special Halloween episode uh, from Cinema Smorgasbord. Uh, Liam, let's finish off talking about The Beach House uh, by asking, would you recommend this to uh, friends of yours, to people who are interested in horror films? I think so. I think I would tailor that recommendation to people who won't judge a movie because of the limits of its budget. Like who who know going in this is a smaller movie. If you if you're only interested in like 
uh, over the top FX, whatever that this is not a movie for you, but I think the ideas here and most of the performances really sell it. And you know, while it does kind of run out of steam a little bit, it sticks to the landing. I think it's worth watching, but again, I think it really depends on your taste. If you're someone for whom you're already a little, not sure how you feel about low budget horror, then this isn't going to convince you otherwise, you know? Uh, currently, you can watch The Beach House on the Shutter streaming service. And in fact, uh, I guess they purchased the rights to distribute it uh, exclusively. And this is exactly the sort of film that I'd like to see Shutter distribute it, and getting it out to more people. Uh, it, again, it's a uh, fairly low budget, conceptual, interesting, unique film. And uh, yeah, I do think that it is worth while again if you're the kind of person who's listening to this show i think you'll dig it i think you'll find things to appreciate in it uh, as long as you can kind of get over the uh, some of the rougher moments and again you might have, have ha- you might really embrace parts of it that liam and i didn't enjoy quite as much liam let's take a break when we return we're going to talk about a very different kind of horror movie uh, it's carlo mirabella uh, davis's swallow from the year 2019 it also is very conceptual in a very different way. Let's talk about it right after this. How does it make you feel when you swallow something? I just like the textures in my mouth. Textures in my mouth. It made me feel in control. In control. Uh, I'm right here. I just wanted to make you happy. You get back here with my kid! I did something unexpected today. Hunter, a newly pregnant housewife, finds herself increasingly compelled to consume dangerous objects. As her husband and his family tighten their control over her life, she must confront the dark secret behind her new obsession. It is Swallow from the year 2019, uh, a incredibly unique film from Carlo Mirabella Davis. Uh, this is, as we mentioned before, this is his first feature-length film, though he did co-direct the documentary The Swell Season about uh, Glenn Hansard and Marketa Erglova uh, from the film Once, uh, the band that they had afterwards. Uh, also written by uh, Carlo Mirabella Davis. Interesting that both of the films today were both directed and written by the same person. Uh, this film features a... Absolutely amazing performance by Haley Bennett as uh, the the central person who is swallowing these objects. And I think actually really strong supporting performances as well. Um, I didn't recognize a lot of the actors in here. Austin Stowell plays Richie Conrad, her husband, and uh, David Rash, who I think a lot of people <laughs> would recognize from the 80s sitcom Sledgehammer, but also from uh, the works of Armando Iannucci. Uh, but I really just a strong cast all around and just a very... I mean, I hate to use the word unique because it's such a loaded word, but it is a very unique movie and visually stunning in a lot of ways. This obviously is a film that had a few more resources behind it than uh, the film that we talked about previously. Liam, what did you think of Swallow? I, well, I loved it, but loved it suggests that it was uh, entirely enjoyable. enjoyable, Yeah, I got you. Which is not real. But uh, yeah, it's dark. It's intense. It is... uh, emotional um when it starts and it's clear that this is a film i mean anyone going in knew this was a film about someone who swallows things but 
the swallowing of things escalates pretty quickly. Yes. And it becomes pretty clear that the circumstances of her life are as relevant for the film as the swallowing. That already was not necessarily what I expected. I guess I could have guessed that, but I just didn't know it going in. And then as it becomes more and more clear that the swallowing is really just getting us to other places, uh, both in her relationship to this new family, in her relationship to her past, and eventually in uh, other more important relationships that I think would qualify as spoilers, so we're, mm-hmm. we won't get into Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Uh, that makes it so much more magical. Uh, don't get me wrong. A movie just about someone who swallows random things, that's still gross and fun. I could be into that. This movie immediately is like, oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. This is just our way in to talk about other stuff. And yeah. um, the fact that, I mean, the, this whole idea, I'm going to swallow this random thing and it's going to come out and that's like an accomplishment, whatever. Um, so alienating to me. It's not mm-hmm. something I connect with. And yet I felt so much more sympathy for her than her awful monster family. Yeah, just the worst, right? <laughs> just Absolutely. the worst motherfuckers who've ever existed. And I thought, oh, this film is magic. They've already got me on her side, even though I know she's needlessly putting herself in danger and she's putting her baby in danger mm-hmm. because of all this other stuff. And yet I'm utterly on her side in every... I'm rooting for her. It's a true accomplishment and it really gets you to think about all these other sort of things going on. Again, I I don't want to spoil anything. I don't think it's a spoiler to say that they're terrible. But uh, I think going too much beyond that is a little bit. So I kind of want to stop at that point. But um, it also helps that, um, and you can tell me if you disagree, I thought every fucking performance in this movie was made of magic. Yeah, I was not expecting that. Every even the the uh, security guy they end up hiring. I know, amazing, unbelievable. It's just it's one of those movies where yeah, there's not a lot of gore or effects or whatever, but you combine this level of cinematography, which is stunning, yeah, with this high level of performance, the movie is gonna work. You know, even if somewhere the plot went off the rails, I would have been on board with this movie. And yet then it also nails the story for me in every aspect. I like that the film, it seems at first like it's going to be a film about mental illness, but that's not really what this movie is about. That it's about trauma and catharsis and control and a lot of different things. Uh, But I think there's also an element of it that kind of turns back on the audience that's that may have watched something like My Strange Addiction, which, you know, it, it that that television show in, in a lot of ways is very exploitative and uh and but covers similar ground to what we see here. There's even a part here where she starts eating soil, which is I think something that was explored on My Strange Addiction, and people come away from that television show thinking, like, look at these freaky people with these weird addictions, and not thinking about, you know, the real causes. Uh, of that sort of thing, that the, the real kind of of, of uh, incidents in their lives that may have led them to this place where this is something that they either find acceptable or pleasing, right? And there's an episode, I think, where someone's eating, like, seat cushions or uh, one of them where someone is eating ashes of their loved ones, right? Things where you can kind of, like, it doesn't take a lot of, of searching to find out that there is some sort of trauma involved there. But here, you know, it's a movie about someone finding themselves in a lot of ways and a, a, someone regaining control in their life. The fact that you can come out of this movie, which goes into some extremely dark places, and feel, I mean, almost inspired by it. Like, feel that, 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 there, that, that there is a 
potential for recovery from something that seems um, overwhelming. I mean, at the end of this movie, I was just bowled over, particularly by the final 20 minutes, which, again, we are not going to talk about. But I really I, – I had no idea at one point this movie is going in a direction – and then it takes a, a real strong left turn, and everything after that, I was transfixed. I was like, I can't believe what I'm seeing. And uh, I, I really was impressed by this movie overall. And I did also already mention Haley Bennett's performance in the lead. But that that thing that you mentioned, which is getting us on her side despite the fact that she is doing this thing that is extremely obviously clearly transparently harmful is is really kind of a master stroke and it makes the movie it does help that this rich family that she has found herself in who treat her like she is like that she hit the jackpot because she's married into wealth and that that everything that she has that that, that you know they go as far to say you know just, just offhand such a realistic moment where the mother says the you should grow your hair long richie likes girls with long hair i mean just the most realistically shitty fucking horrible people on the planet but the way that they present these characters still keeps them enough in reality that that you could absolutely understand that there are people like that out there i think it really speaks to an attitude that a lot of people have which is that um if you're a certain kind of person you don't inherently deserve anything and so anything absolutely and they tie that in this movie so clearly to her trauma and her traumatic past that are revealed very artfully, in my opinion. Um, and again, I almost feel like I feel almost bad. Like maybe we're spoiling it, saying that there's a positive sort of ending. I mean, maybe being positive too is because I mean, the it's, rest of the movie that's is certainly so based dark. on interpretation, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that yeah. was just my takeaway from it. And other people, and I know other people would not take it as a, right. as as positive. So, so let's go ahead and say that that not everyone is going to be uplifted by the ending. So don't assume we've given something away. But yeah. I will agree with you. Um, and I wouldn't even necessarily say the end, the very ending for me, but there is a uh, uh, a <laughs> climax in a uh, situation that I cannot reveal anything about without giving away too much. But you know what I mean, Doug. Yep. People who've seen the movie will know what I mean. And the magic of the humanity of that moment and the honesty of it and the way it's played is so real because that's how you would really talk. Yes. You, they could have made that that moment even more dramatic than what it is uh, in how it's discussed, but instead they talk like how humans would probably talk about it, and that was that moment was so real. It I had to like rewatch it because yeah. it was just like it's it's upsetting in a way too, but it's also just like really powerful. So I don't want again I don't want to spoil anything for anyone, um, but the point is is that this it's. Uh, it's hard because the subject matter and the way it's portrayed is so at one level upsetting that I wouldn't be like, this movie is perfect for everyone and everyone must see this movie. You right. Know? Mm-hmm. But if you're someone who has a vague idea of what the movie's about and that is not a turnoff for you, it's actually something you really want to see, then like you actually really want to see it more than you think you do. It's also the concept, which we've already talked about, you know, just the idea of eating these objects and and what that represents in the person's life. That's dealt with and exposed earlier in the film than you might think. And then the fallout of that is what I found a lot more interesting, even though it's that concept that kind of kind of grabs you and brings you into the movie uh, proper. So I I was really pleased with the structure of the movie, uh, even though. 
Uh, it's a hard watch at times. And it's funny because at its core, this is sort of like a really dark comedy. Uh, not all the way through, but certainly there are comedic elements here. But Agreed. It, it, again, it's, it's more kind of like darkly satirical, especially when it comes to this wealthy family. Um, it, well, again, it really... I, I, think it's, I think it's worth saying, too, a little bit, and I, this didn't occur to me until now, but obviously any movie dealing with mental health could be triggering for someone. Absolutely. So keep, keep that in mind. But I and that's not think, the only trigger on here as well. This might no. be something that you might want to investigate yes. ahead of time. Yes. I would, I would say if you are someone who is worried about all manner of things, again, I don't want to spoil anything for anyone, but there are a number of triggers in here, including one that might not seem obvious to people, but I think is worth mentioning, is like... There's a sense of powerlessness with this family and a sense of being trapped and controlled yes. mm-hmm. that I think is very upsetting. And in fact, um, it gave me found... it gave me incredible anxiety to watch right, that play out. Right, I was so thinking this was going to end up being a body horror movie. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's going in. That was my vibe. Was like, all right, some gross stuff is going to happen when she starts swallowing crazy shit, and it's going to get it's going to become a caricature. And that is not what happens. And the movie is more about the social relations which sounds like a bummer for someone who was hoping for grossness but actually is so much more powerful and so much more disturbing and is just like some next level it's like legit next level shit it is the the level of performance and writing i think of the social dynamics that she finds herself in and how believable it is it's never ridiculous right but it's no less upsetting it's more upsetting because you are like this is what would happen yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. You know, it's it's it reminded me a little bit. My oldest brother, he had a relationship with uh, a woman from the U.S. and they got married, and their her family was extremely wealthy. And I grew up in a solid lower middle class family. Uh, my experience with wealth was always on the television. That's all it was, or in movie. So uh, when my brother got married, I went down to Florida. My entire family did, and we. Went to this gated community, and it was – I used to describe it like the Beverly Hillbillies coming to town. I mean, we we were like, wow, look at all this. But I wonder sometimes – I should say I wondered while watching this how my brother would respond to watching it because he was kind of in this situation. He was suddenly put into this scenario where everything he had was being provided by other people who wanted him to seem grateful for it. Even though you know he he didn't aim for it, it, it wasn't like uh, hitting the jackpot like like the they keep saying in this movie, but it was a very kind of similar scenario, and maybe it, it gave me an extra kind of perspective on it. That boy, there are really every time you hear about a like a celebrity who is dating someone who is quote unquote a normal person, like a regular person, not another celebrity, that there's an aspect of this at its core. But uh, but I mean, really, what you said is is absolutely correct, which is that these people are terrible. And so believably terrible that it and and so kind of confining in the way that they treat this uh, hunter character that it it just makes you feel uncomfortable because you know how real it is. Oh man, just thinking about it now, and I think that um, the other thing to keep in mind because I think a lot of our listeners are probably of a certain mindset where they are going to be probably on board with us, but. There is a whole segment of the population that no yeah. matter what happens uh-huh. in this movie mm-hmm. would be on the family side. Yes. That they would be like, Hunter's a crazy person who should be put away and every and this family is is being given a raw deal. And I don't feel that way, 
But I knew watching it, oh shit, there's a whole bunch of people for it's, whom they're never going to identify with this it's, movie. It's, the parasite, it's it. the parasite dilemma, right? Where you yes. saw people who just couldn't understand why people were responding so strongly to Parasite. It's like, what? What was so... Look, the, the rich family, they were they were great. They they seemed really kind and what they gave them this job. Like, there were people legitimately saying that. People who really should fucking know better. But uh, we saw... Bro, I mean, I've, I've had this discussion. I discussed this uh, for listeners who actually enjoy my, my voice. I was recently <laughs> on the Assembly podcast, which is uh, the Political Theology Network. They had me on to talk about uh, movies in general, just like as a fun episode. But it did get very uh, political, actually, because we were talking about Parasite. And it's really hard to know, is it that the culture can't really process the kind of... Uh, class critique going on in Parasite or did the class critique need to be sharper so people understood you know what I mean I I, I feel like honestly it was never going to be sharper because one of the major criticisms of uh of uh Snowpiercer was that it was uh too heavy-handed yeah so I knew that you know director Bong's not gonna go well I'm just gonna make the hand heavier he tried to make it a little more interesting and a little more whatever but it still is really clear to me it's still really clear to me where the sympathies lie in Parasite. And so the fact that fucking millions of people see it as a both <laughs> the, sides movie is when, unbelievable. When me. Steven Van Zandt, little Stevie, couldn't figure it out and talked about on Twitter how much he, he just didn't like the movie and didn't get it, it was killing me to see it, right? I mean, I, it was just it's like, what are you talking about? But I mean, it's just, I think... I think if you're coming at it, and you're right, it's not so subtle that you shouldn't be able to figure it out. The movie makes it extremely clear, but... Uh, well, I do wonder, and you can speak to this as a fellow poor, uh, <laughs> there is a sense in which sometimes the people who are least forgiving of criminality are fellow poors, even though hmm. if you have a certain level of analysis, you're like, well, a lot of criminals, not all, but a lot of criminals are criminals because they're desperate. And even the ones who enjoy it because they're sadistic bastards, if they were rich, they would just be corporate criminals who enjoyed it and were sadistic bastards. The reality is that criminality in and of itself is not a character trait. It's a decision that you made. Right. And that might have been a good decision or a bad decision. I'm personally unwilling to say it's always a bad decision. Mm -hmm. uh, but for whatever reason, all of us poorest who decided not to do it, it's kind of like how under abstract circumstances you could see why someone might jump in line. But if you've been in the line for a couple hours, you're like, I don't know what the reason is, but I will murder that person. Yeah, right. That's how that's how fellow poors are who don't understand criminality is that I think some of the, I granted there were plenty of rich people who didn't get the movie, but occasionally I saw people who were like, I don't get it. The, the poor family were monsters. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, be, I guarantee that's because you are either middle class or poor, and you just don't understand why anyone would make those decisions, or you resent that they would make those decisions. You know what I, I'm saying? I just love that, but I found that people couldn't square it. Right? It's like it's like, but they're working so hard for this mediocrity, right? And it's just like, well, that's life. That is what everyone is doing. They're working really hard to get to where they are, and then they see people, you know. Anyway, that that line skipping analogy is a really interesting one because even with my sympathy towards everything we're talking about, someone skips a headline that they're, they're uh, cruising for a bruising. Liam, oh, one hundred percent. I've actually gotten not hostile like I was gonna beat someone up, but I've been like, Ugh, and it's like, oh, that person had diarrhea, or that <laughs> that woman is pregnant and she needs to sit down. And I'm like, oh, right, I'm being a monster. But in the moment, you're like, if someone jumps in this fucking line after I've put. Uh, 
an hour in, they're gonna that's that's they're gonna pay. Whereas you know, all of life is more nuanced than the line, and which is why. Side note, lines are a bad idea. Yeah, they're a bad idea. There shouldn't be lines. If you can ever run something and avoid a line, you have actually given a gift to the people who interact with the thing. Whether a, that is A line is a symbol of how shitty society is because all you should 100%. have to do is like, okay, that person who just showed up before you, remember that person. So when that person does the thing, you're the next person, and you should be able to trust that people can do that, and you don't need to all stand in a place that you can maneuver around. All you need to do is keep your eyes open, but we cannot trust people because we're the fucking worst, always. Well, and the most mad, the most easy way to understand is, like, talk to any promoter of a thing and, talk, and, and have them explain to you how creating a line for your event creates anxiety in people where they think they must be missing out on something, and you'll understand how messed up lines are in general. Liam Swallow is available to watch uh, through via various VOD services, including Amazon Video and Google Play. You can find it right now to watch if you want to check it out. Liam, would you recommend it to, well, horror fans or maybe film fans in general? I actually, uh, again, if, if the subject matter is too upsetting or if you're worried about being triggered around mental health or other things, then, yeah, I mean, it's, an, it's, an, it's a movie that has an edge to it. And while it might not qualify as horror to some people, I think for me it's horror because it's like dealing with anxiety and fear on that edge of human experience. But assuming that you don't have those barriers, yeah, this is a must-fucking-see. It's an yeah. amazing movie. I think it's It is great. just next level. And while it's not a big-budget movie, it is like one of those movies I describe as like the right budget. You yes. know what I mean? Like it, The right budget spent, to be brave. That's what it yeah, is, right? They spent the right amount of money to make a movie that is this effective. And I, I loved it. I really loved it. And I'm really glad I got to see it. Not that I wasn't planning to watch it at some point, but doing it for the show, A, made it a priority. And B, you know, I was ready. I was ready to focus and process. And I'm glad I was because it's very good. It's a movie that I really liked, but in the process now of talking about it, I realized really the extent to which I, again, enjoy is a strange word, but that I really did enjoy it and really did appreciate it. And it does make choices that, hey, a, a larger budgeted movie would never make. And so I'm really curious. You know, I'm curious to see where both of the directors that we've talked about today, the, the director of the I agree. House, I agree. Jeffrey A. Brown and uh, the director of Swallow, Carlo Mirabella Davis. I really want to see what they're going to do next because uh, I'd like to I'd like to think that their uh, vision isn't going to be Watertown with increased budgets. Hopefully that they can uh, maintain uh, a lot of the interesting material that they've started with here. But uh, But that's the interesting thing. About being, you know, that's one of the interesting things about being fans of genre cinema in general is that you see these, the the growth and evolution of these people. You see these kind of minor breakthroughs and get to see what they're doing next, and then inevitably be disappointed as the Hollywood machine <laughs> chews them up and spits them out, <laughs> or just be frustrated that they've never gotten the break that you think they deserve. Yeah, which yeah. is a weird thing to say, right? Because inevitably that break tends to cause them to be not as good directors, but you still kind of want it because you <laughs> want to imagine that like you were right and that whatever they had was worth something. Yeah. I mean, look, this it's going to be a cycle that we will forever be within, that's for sure. Uh, Liam, it's almost Halloween. I hope you're feeling spooky. Oh, was that a, that was a real question? Yeah, I'm feeling pretty spooky. <laughs> for those who want to check out more spooky cinema smorgasbord content, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, they can head over to Cinepunks.com, where actually we are in the midst of celebrating Cineween. Um, 
<clears throat> it's our attempt to focus uh, during October on all things spooky and upsetting. Uh, we are, you know, operating at a little less capacity this year because of the pandemic, but we've still managed to publish a lot of really great articles. Really, and, really great stuff this week. Yeah, I and some and some Cineween, like some Halloween specific episodes of episode of podcasts. So I think there's a lot of great content there. Uh, if you just want to check up on the history of this show we also have our own website cinemasmorgasbord.com but i think both are worth your time to uh check out um they can also follow cinepunks on all manner of social media facebook instagram twitter that's it just those three uh but they can also find cinema Board on twitter at cinema smorg stop at the g folks cinema smorg <laughs> i guess they could follow you on twitter too but i don't know why they want to do that well, they could, of course, follow you on Twitter at Liam Rules with a Z. You can also follow me at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T I L L E Y. Let me also let me also throw out a uh, uh, some little bit of promotion for Rough Cut shirts. Uh, at Curly, oh yeah, currently uh, doing a, a video nasty triple feature, uh, including shirts uh, devoted to absurd and the burning. Actually, I think some of these are, are some of the the finest shirts. Particularly that burning shirt, I think, is one of the best ones that uh, you guys have put out yet. And yeah, you can find that at roughcutshirts.com. Dot com. Uh, but yeah, if you need to give us feedback, if you want to uh, recommend us to others, it's at cinemasmorgasbord.com. Why don't you go over to iTunes and leave us a review? We'd appreciate it very much. Liam, I had a lot of fun talking about these spooky, scary movies with you on this special Halloween episode of Cinema Smorgasbord. Yeah, I'm always surprised when I enjoy your presence, but this is pretty good. It's nice nice to be a little off format sometimes. Uh, <laughs> but that said, we're going to be back to an, our regular format, whatever that might be, on the next episode. For now... Good night, good luck, stay spooky, everybody. What do you think, Liam? <laughs> I hate that outro. Stay but right. spooky. What do you good think? Good night. Good right, night. Good We're night. out of here. Bye. 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 <laughs>